Andrew, it's an enormous undertaking, but I think we have to start with a little bit of a philosophical backstep, which is what we're doing over at the Forward Party, is, is thinking through what does it look like to build a new kind of party? And a party that is actually oriented around an actual civic life that is joyful and robust and makes a difference in people's lives, we have to reorient what is a political party? Um, it, because I think people have, have first and foremost forgotten uh, the, the potential of a political party. And so once we kind of understand that what we're trying to build is a container and a community for people to engage in a robust and joyful civic life that, that deeply impacts their communities for good, now we can think about how you structure that. It is my pleasure to welcome to Forward a man who has lost more independent political races than anyone else in the country, perhaps the head of political strategy for Forward, Joel Searby. Welcome, Joel. Andrew, great to be with you. Thank you. Yes, I do hold the distinction of having lost more independent campaigns than any consultant in U.S. history, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, it's because you've been fighting the good fight in a very, very principled fashion, but it is not always thus. Uh, you started out within one of the major parties and became a prominent consultant in Florida before, I believe, departing the Republican Party in 2016, which might be a familiar narrative to some. But uh, you want to walk us through your background? Yeah, sure. Happy to. I've uh, been doing politics for about 17 years. Did not get into this because it was my uh, career of choice. I did not study political science uh, but once I got in, I worked my way up through the Republican ranks uh, in a consulting firm in Florida. And in 2014, I became the CEO of that firm. At the time, we were the largest uh, consulting firm in the Southeast. And uh, I was in the process of buying that company when 2016 rolled around. And I had just been growing less and less comfortable with the direction of the party. I was very concerned about the 2016 election. And uh, ultimately, that became incompatible with uh, what I was doing professionally. So. I, uh, I resigned as CEO. I walked away from that buyout and I became a political independent and have been in the kind of new politics space ever since. So that, that sounds like it was not phenomenal for your pocketbook. <laughs> it cost me a lot of money. And you're like me, you're a family man. So like, what what, what is that process like? Yeah, man, it, it was hard, Andrew. And uh, I'm really thankful for my amazing wife, Jen, who has stuck through this entire journey with me. Uh, but 2016 was incredibly hard. It cost us a tremendous amount of money. Uh, I was losing friends and professional connections, and uh, I was gone a ton. But uh, I, I don't regret it. I, I believe that what we were doing was the right thing to do, and I had to be true to my conscience and what I thought needed to be done for the country at the time. And, and really, that opened up what has become a seven-year journey in this new politics space and, and now is developing into what I think is the most exciting uh, movement that we've seen in our lifetimes in politics. I can relate to you a little bit on this, but I don't think people realize, and this is one thing that pisses me off, I got to say, is that someone like you leaves a privileged perch in the Republican Party, and there are so many personal and professional costs associated with it. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you're like a kind of a higher ground guy, so you're not like, you know, uh, venting about it all the time because like, you know, it's like no one can, it's like you do it 
same thing with with me and to a much much lesser extent um uh so when i said hey i'm i'm leaving the democratic party i have to be honest like i did not realize it was going to be such a thing it was uh like the day before forward was going to be announced it's like well i guess i can't really announce this as a dem so let me just change this registration mm -hmm. and then i like posted a uh, a video and a blog post that was not in retrospect i really should have made more hay out of it i really should have you know <laughs> it gets their attention i know but but it's different for you because you actually had just such like a rich network and matrix of uh professional relationships and so when you say you, you lose friends i don't think people realize just how rough it gets um when when someone who's within one of these parties decides to leave. Yeah, it really is like uh, walking away from family in some senses. Uh, you have these deep connections and relationships that have built over the course of years. Um, but what's really unfortunate and sad is, is that people will indeed cut you off just for changing your political party, even when you don't change any of your principles. I did not change a single thing that I believed uh, from the day that I was Republican to the day that I became an independent. Um, but that's not what matters in the kind of bare knuckles partisan world. Uh, you have to be loyal to a side. And you see that played out now in, in races where you have independent candidates running who are very credible, who are well-funded, who are serious people, um, and they can't get staffed because party operatives are afraid to work on a campaign that's not within their own party because they will be blacklisted. They absolutely will. And uh, and that's the system we've we've created. And it's really a problem. Well, it's one reason why your decision uh, is so important or was so important in 2016. So you leave the firm. Your wife is very, very superhumanly understanding. <laughs> <laughs> and then so what were your next steps? What are you like? OK, what the heck do I do now? Well, I had a mission at the time, which was I had connected up with a couple of other guys who were thinking similarly and trying to recruit an independent candidate for president. And so uh, I hooked up with a guy named John Kingston, who was uh, graciously funding a lot of the effort, and uh, Stuart Stevens, former Mitt Romney operative, uh, Rick Wilson, uh, and a few others, Bill Crystal. And we were trying to find a candidate. So we spent the summer looking for a candidate to run for president as an independent. And we talked to everybody that you would think we should talk to. And they all told us, no, nobody wanted to try to take on the two-party system, even with the, the prospect of Trump and Clinton, which at that time was, was all but certain. Uh, nobody would step up and do it. It was too big of a risk. They wanted to have all kinds of guarantees for money and infrastructure and and uh, so that was the mission that I undertook over the course of the summer. But we got to the end of the summer and the conventions were happening and we had no candidate. I had no job. And our funder said, you know what, I think that's it. I'm tapped out. And uh, so I was uh, I was pretty distraught. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was uh, we had uh, previously scheduled vacation to my in-laws in Illinois. So I was sitting by their garage, drinking a beer, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And my phone rang. And the guy on the other end says, I hear you're the guy to talk to if you want to run for president. And so uh, that guy was Evan McMullen. And uh, Evan and I met a couple of days later. Uh, we walked through just how basically impossible it was going to be, but that we thought somebody should do it. And uh, he called me the next day and said, all right, if you're in, I'm in. 
And four days later, we launched the presidential campaign. Uh, so uh, we we went out and did it on principle. We knew what we were getting into. Um, and, and then I spent the next three months just trying to advance Evan's campaign and, and do what we could. Well, we're going to return to Evan because now he's running for U.S. Senate in Utah against Mike Lee, a Trump-endorsed incumbent who was sending supportive text messages on January 6th, being like, hey, what can I do to help? Uh, so Evan is one of the great hopes for people who want a new approach to politics. And you have obviously been working with Evan for years. Uh, what drew you in? I mean, I, I can speak for myself where I think Evan McMullen's uh, true uh, patriot. He was in the CIA for 11 years. I mean, that that's a long haul. Uh, and uh, was stationed in the Middle East uh, doing things that he uh, hoped would protect the country, uh, came back and is trying to do what he can to help the country. But did you see all of this in 2016? Yeah, when we met, of course, we had we had never met before. And so we got to know each other and just listening to his story and the sacrifices he had made. Um, we were in a very similar kind of headspace at the time. We both just felt very distraught about the future of the country. Um, we believe the Republican Party was was falling apart uh, in on itself and that no one was doing what was right. It was so clear to he and I what the right thing to do would be, um, but no one was standing up. No one of any prominence would stand up. And so, um, you know, we really were kind of uh, brothers in arms in that way. We, we very much shared a view of the world at that moment. And uh, and I did see, of course, the the bravery and the exceptional sacrifice that he had uh put himself through for 11 years being, uh, as his friends in the CIA will tell you, one of the most distinguished uh, operatives that the CIA has ever had. He's not just a guy who was out there trying to help. He was actually one of the very best. And so not only was he wanting to help, but he was helping. He was protecting our nation and putting his life on the line every day. And so I deeply respected that. And I said, OK, let's go. Let's do what we can to see if we can uh, make a difference in 2016. So Evan ends up getting, I believe, 20% of the vote in Utah, um, and now he's running for U.S. Senate there. He's got a real following and base there. Um, but what were your next steps after that campaign? Because I, when you talk about racking up losses, <laughs> like you're, you're, uh, you've been busy since then. Yeah, well, I, I believed that we needed a new way in our politics. Uh, I knew it was going to be hard. But at the time, the the best thing I could figure out how to do was to try to help recruit independent candidates to run in a different lane. Um, and over the course of the next six or seven years, I ran independent candidacies for U.S. Senate, for governor, uh, for U.S. House, uh, for mayor's races. Uh, I did help some partisans here and there, but I also worked in the reform space, particularly around voting rights. I helped with Florida's Amendment 4, which was the restoration of felons voting rights here in Florida. Um, and uh, we did win that one, which was a huge win. Um, but just going through that kind of reform and, and new politics space, I learned a ton of lessons. I, I joke that uh, all those losses, it's kind of like I've, I've been trying to take the hill for, for six or seven years. And uh, I kind of know where all the snipers are at. I know where the landmines are planted and, and I hope that I can be a, of a service to the movement as we go forward, because we've learned a lot of things about what doesn't work and the, the deficiencies and the things you have to overcome. But we're starting to learn how to apply those lessons in different ways. And uh, so I take that that intervening six or seven years as 
a period of learning and continuing to try to work out my own kind of philosophy and approach to politics um, and, and really feel like we're, we're kind of stepping into a bit of a new, a new era here. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses as tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Yeah, and we'll talk about how much excitement you're seeing around Ford. I mean, it is the most exciting thing that anyone's seen. Uh, we're tens of thousands of incredible uh, everyday Americans are signing up in all 50 states. I mean, it, it's magical. Uh, it, it's awesome. One thing I, I wanted to uh, to ask you about was the fulcrum theory, which has uh, been put forward by a number of people. Um, and they thought to themselves, hey, uh, to the extent that there's an opportunity, it might be to have a group, let's call it three, four uh, senators who are kind of straddling the parties. And in a polarized country, and this is one thing that a lot of people don't understand, is like you don't need 51% of seats to right. control or influence policy in this context. You might only need one or two if they're the right seats. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. So just to give folks kind of a basic overview, the idea of the fulcrum strategy is kind of lives in the U.S. Senate world, though it applies to every governing body. And it actually has uh, taken place in a place like Alaska in the state legislature just a few years ago. So I'll use that as an example in a minute. But the basic concept is that in a closely divided legislative body like the U.S. Senate, a very small number of senators uh, could and uh, dramatically influence the direction of the Senate because they have the power to hold their votes uh, in in kind of uh, together in a way that would force both sides to to come to the middle and, and have a conversation. Now, when I say middle, I don't necessarily mean the, the philosophical middle. It's more about the way that power brokering happens and the decisions get made. And we've seen this in action in the recent months, even with folks like yep. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema and Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. They hold a tremendous amount of power because they are willing to broker those deals. Now, the, the fulcrum strategy takes the, the basic concept and turns it into an actual practicing group that might organize themselves, for example, as a separate caucus. Uh, there are ways to do that. I've had many hours of conversation uh, with some 
deep experts in the field uh, who, who really know what they're talking about. And, and this can be done. It's really about the will of the senators and, and the people around them to want to do that. Uh, and it's hard. It's incredibly hard. Uh, but there is a precedent in terms of how the Senate works to do that. And again, the example in Alaska was you had a very closely divided legislature and you had a handful of independent legislators and they got to decide really who they would caucus with, who they would organize with. And so what ended up was a a third force in the Alaska legislature that was made up of Republicans, Democrats and independents. And they set the legislative agenda for the entire uh, legislative session. And, and so this works. It has been done. Um, and I really believe that it could totally transform the way that the U.S. Uh, Senate and Congress works. Yeah, we have a golden opportunity right here and now uh, to help get uh, one or two or three U.S. senators uh, who are interested in being this fulcrum. And that can be through uh, enlistment. It can be through helping certain people win races uh, so that they're... You know, there are a lot of people jump to different uh, different levels. Uh, we're super excited about the 506,000 local races that you and I can talk about as well. Um, but man, are there massive opportunities uh, in November for us to have a- an enormous impact? Yeah, no doubt, Andrew. And what we see is, again, a group of senators and potential senators who are more and more open to this concept because they realize that the Senate's broken. They realize that the government overall is not working and that the divisiveness has completely infiltrated the, the policymaking. There are some brave folks who are considering uh, making some changes. And I think what is gonna be important is that there is an electorate and a, and a political apparatus and a group of people who are willing to say, we'll, we'll stand with you. That's something that hasn't been there before. In fact, I. I had a conversation um, a few years back with a a chief of staff in the Senate about this very concept. And I've had many conversations with many chiefs of staff. And that chief of staff told me something very telling uh, that I have stuck with me ever since. He said, if your plan depends on the courage of the senators, it will fail. (laughs) And and uh, unfortunately, uh, he was he was trying to make the point that uh, not not that there's no such thing as a courageous senator. We've seen some recently, uh, but that. The reality of politics in America is that there are so many uh, cross pressures that you have to be able to give them some some support and some relief valves. Uh, Very few people will put their entire career on the line uh, to take a risk like this. And so I'm hoping that in the coming years that we can see this real coalition develop that wants to support this, this new way of governing. Yeah, that's what we have to build, man. I mean, expecting people to do the unreasonable self-punishing thing is stupid. (laughs) You have to get better incentives. Not everyone could be a Joel Searby. You're never going to be a U.S. senator, Joel. (laughs) That's probably true. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know 
what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. Let's talk mechanics of uh, party building. And you're one of the preeminent experts on ballot access and the blocking and tackling. There's so much ignorance in this space, so much confusion, so many stupid, lazy narratives when people say this and that. And like, I'm just shaking my head being like, hey, guys, like, you know, that that's mechanically impossible what you're describing. Right. Uh, so walk us through what the heck it means to actually uh, build 50 state parties. Yeah, Andrew, it's an enormous undertaking, but I think we have to start with a little bit of a philosophical backstep, which is what we're doing over at the forward party is, is thinking through what does it look like to build a new kind of party and a party that is actually oriented around an actual civic life that is joyful and robust and makes a difference in people's lives. And so if you don't reframe, first of all, at that most foundational level, and our friend Michael Slaby has really helped think us, uh, walk us through thinking about this, we have to reorient what is a political party. Um, it, because I think people have, have first and foremost forgotten uh, the, the potential of a political party. And so once we kind of understand that what we're trying to build is a container and a community for people to engage in a robust and joyful civic life that, that deeply impacts their communities for good, now we can think about how you structure that. And, and the structuring is actually a matter of blocking and tackling and, and tactics that are largely driven by a, a, an absolute uh, web of crazy state and local laws that are <laughs> in many cases nonsensical and almost always driven by the power of the two major parties. And so what you have to understand is when you build a national party, what you're doing is you're building a, a federation of 50 state parties. And when you're building a state party, you're building a federation of a bunch of county parties and local parties and candidates. And so as you think about this and building this community, um, there's there's basic things that have to happen uh, in every state. And each state has a slightly different rule set for how that has to be done. So in some states, for example, Louisiana, you gather a thousand registered voters and you file some paperwork and you're a political party. Um, in the state of Florida, you can be a minor party with just a piece of paper and some people. Uh, and and yet, if you want to become a major party in Florida, like the Republicans and Democrats, you have to have 715,000 registered voters. 
And so you are relegated to minor party status for for a long time unless you can really pour fuel on the fire. And, and, and in the case of Florida, that's what we intend to do. In other states, uh, you have to get 10,000 signatures or 5,000 registered voters. Or in some states like Illinois, you have to get 5% of the statewide vote in a gubernatorial race. I mean, the, the, the rules are just absolutely all over the place. The bottom line about how we have to do this, though, is we organize around great people and great leaders, and we empower state and local leaders to say, how are you going to build this party? What do you think it needs to uh, embody, and how is this going to look? Now, one of the things that uh, I, I think is being broadly misunderstood about the forward party right now, particularly among the political class and particularly the Twitterati, which I try to mostly ignore, but what they're talking about is is fundamentally missing the point of where we're at in the process and what it looks like to build a party. Because yeah. where we're at right now is much more. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal back some historical narratives from the far right here for a minute. We are much more in a space like the Boston Tea Party moment, or maybe the Declaration of Independence, because that was not the revolution. The country was not born when a bunch of people threw tea over the edge of a ship. The country was actually not born fundamentally when they started writing out this declaration. What has to happen is you build and you fight and you work and you you create over the course of an arc of time that then builds in the, the fabric of what will become the nation and how the nation is governed. So the Declaration of Independence, then you had to have the Constitution, then you had the Bill of Rights, then you had amendments. All of that is a process that we should step back and say, oh, that's how governments are formed. That's how government works. It's, it's very similar to where we're at with the forward party. We have declared we are building a new viable, credible, durable party for this country. Now we get together as communities of people who want to see this happen and we build this party. And we, we navigate through all of this, uh, this web of rules and laws. But the good news is it can be done. It can be navigated uh, with, with good patience and hard work and lawyers, uh, we will uh, navigate it. And that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Good lawyers employed by the board party. Good, expensive lawyers. Maybe not so expensive. Who knows? So we're going to go after the low hanging fruit, uh, you know, the states that have uh, more accommodating uh, rules and regs. So what are the 15 states that we are targeting in the next uh, series of weeks and months? Let's say, you know, 22 plus a bit of 23. Get some kind of legal status in about 15 of those by the end of this year. And so we've we've used a, a series of metrics. Basically, you know, we gave them all a, a, a rating of how easy they were going to be, how difficult they were going to be, uh, where we had people and resources already, things like that, really thought strategically through how we can do this. Um, and so among some of those, I can just kind of walk through a handful here. I can certainly list them out. Uh, North Carolina is a little bit of a heavier lift, but one where we have great infrastructure and is ripe for this. We need uh, somewhere around 13,000 signatures uh, in North Carolina. So that's a little heavier lift. We're, we're getting organized there. We've got great state leaders. A place like Hawaii, we only need 796 signatures. So I've already volunteered to go to Hawaii and get the signatures. Nobody's uh, signed me up yet, but uh, Hawaii is an easy yeah, state. Yeah, no, there'll be a bunch of us volunteering. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the, the state of state of Washington, you don't actually have to do anything. You just you get candidates. The candidates, as 
are what uh, determine the status of the party. So you have candidates that run and they say, I'm a forward party candidate, and that's what goes on their ballot line. So Washington is, is very easy from that perspective. Um, Alaska, eight, roughly 8,000 signatures. We can go do that. Uh, Utah, 2,000 signatures. Uh, uh, in a place like Louisiana, as I mentioned, 1,000 signatures. Places like uh, West Virginia, 7,000 signatures. Uh, Mississippi, you just put in a piece of paper. Florida, you, you submit your bylaws and your leadership and you're a minor party. So there's, a, there's quite a few states like that where we think a combination of really easy ones where it's basically paperwork and a few signatures and then some, some kind of mid-level lifts where we want to go get some wins through organizing and getting signatures. Uh, and, and again, there's about 22 to 24 of those that we'll be looking at and already are organizing in. So you have personally been having a lot of these conversations with excited uh, volunteers uh, and activists and organizers in various states. Can you sh relate the uh, nature of those convos, the type of people that are coming in? Yeah, Andrew, this is the most exciting part for me. And this is what really keeps me going every day on this work, because this work is hard. And the the fire hose that we are drinking from, while very exciting because so many people are engaged, uh, is difficult to keep up with. But these folks are really, really amazing. Salt of the earth, uh, incredibly talented, experienced people. I've been around politics 17 years. I've sat in a lot of uh, Republican and Democratic committee meetings and town town meetings. Uh, unfortunately, they tend to draw very often uh, not the highest caliber folks, people that are really there to either argue. <laughs> we know what to, we know what you're talking about, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be gadflies, you know, it, it's just the reality. This is the exact opposite. These people are really amazing. You know, one of our state leads, just as one example, is a woman who's in her in her fifties, who is a a very accomplished uh, corporate project manager, C-level operator, uh, someone who just believes in the mission and is out here doing the work. And, and there are uh, hundreds of, of people like Tina who are out there doing amazing work. And, and it's just so inspiring to see these people stepping up who want to help lead this party. And, and we have many, many leaders in, in all the states that we're organizing. We're, we're fully organized in over 30 states. We have people in all 50 states. Uh, it's really, really exciting. We have Monday meetings with our state leads. We have a, a noon meeting and an 8 p.m. meeting. And we have over 100 people on those meetings that are there having conversations and, and wanting to do everything they can to get this thing going. Yeah, that, that's why I'm so pumped right now, Joel, is that I've been a part of different organizations and efforts before. And you can kind of tell which way it's going to head based upon the people that you're attracting. <laughs> you know, you know I mean? <laughs> and so if you get ass kickers and people who are um, motivated and determined for the right reasons and like don't give a hang about credit, they're just trying to get the job done, you can move mountains. And those are exactly the people that are coming to forward. It's really wonderful. And one thing that you discovered and I discovered, you discovered a little bit more the hard way than I did, I'll say. Um, so so someone, some people uh, occasionally uh, accuse me of uh, trying to elevate myself by going third party. And I just start laughing because it's like, are you kidding me? Like you had this direction and like all of a sudden, like, you know, like, like every institutional support like disappears, like a lot of people who occupy positions of power and influence uh, want less to do with you. It's like you're freaking walking into the wilderness. Like no one does mm -hmm. this for uh, the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? So like the folks who are coming in, uh, see the vision, see the need, 
see the potential, just want to roll up their sleeves and, and kick some butt. And that is why we're going to build something truly awesome, phenomenal, that's going to change the course of American history. I could not agree more, Andrew. It is so inspiring to see folks uh, stepping into this. And it's not only true that this is a sacrificial move for almost everyone who does it, um, but it also means that people are counting the cost before they step in. And when you have people counting the cost before they step in, you know you've got the right kind of people because many of the people that are coming to our party leadership, they are coming out of partisan positions, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians in droves, because this is what they've wanted. This is what they've been longing for. And, and now we're here and they are ready to go to work. And it is absolutely inspiring. So uh, I'm going to, to do a little bit of scaffolding on Evan McMullen, uh, which uh, I think is one of the most important races. And I realize that people who listen to the podcast may not know the ins and outs of Evan's situation. Uh, we'll try and get Evan on the podcast and, and you know have people get to know him a bit better. But I think this is so fascinating because Evan McMullen's running for U.S. Senate in Utah, which is a state that Trump won by 21 points. So you think that state's solid. Uh, uh, in in the Republican camp. But the Democrats of Utah did something almost unprecedented, which is they decided not to run a candidate. Uh, so on the ballot is just going to be Mike Lee versus Evan McMullen. And so the 39% of Utahns who voted for Joe Biden, probably not going to be huge Mike Lee fans. There, there may be uh, an enthusiasm or turnout gap uh, among their number because, you know, if there's not a Democrat, I think they'll show up to vote anyway because, you know, there are other races. Um, uh, to vote for. But let's say that the 39% show up and all go to Evan. Then the question is, can Evan peel off 12 of the 59% who voted for Trump in the last uh, election? Uh, and I think one of the most powerful signals is that Mitt Romney declined to endorse his Republican incumbent colleague. Uh, he's just like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with both of them, which I think is like a, a very powerful all clear sign to a lot of uh, moderate Republicans in Utah to be like, hey, you know, Mitt's okay with Evan. Like, I can vote for Evan uh, and feel good about it. Yeah, I think to understand what's happening in Utah, you have to step back just a bit and understand the background of how this came to be, which really does send signals to those of us who care about building something new, which is that from the get go, Evan was committed to building a cross partisan coalition. He was saying from the start, I'm going to run as an independent and I want to bring in Republicans and Democrats and independents and United Utah Party and Libertarians. That is the way we will beat someone who has been, you know, supportive of not only the big lie in January 6th and, you know, actively participating in very dangerous undermining of our democracy. But uh, and so fundamentally, there was a coalition there who disagreed with Mike Lee. But I think even more important than that. There's a coalition of people who want to see something different. And in places like Utah, you have the Democrats who have basically been shut out of governing for decades. Um, and you have minor parties who have been trying to do something different, but never had kind of the lift in order to get it done. Uh, and along comes a figure like Evan, who's willing to to make himself a bit of a figurehead in that movement um, and do something that's never been done. So there's that kind of backstory of how it came to be. 
But then I think it's important to understand that what the Democrats did here was really sacrificial. I, I have to give them credit for what they did. It was visionary and it took a lot of work. And of course, there was opposition. Um, but what they realized was, hey, maybe democracy matters more than just having someone with a D on their name. Uh, and, and that was really admirable and I think patriotic what they did there. And, and so I think we may see that replicated in other places. I also want to say, though, at the same time, uh, in some states, partisans aren't competitive because it's a, a total misbalance. But in the vast majority of races of the 500,000 elected officials, uh, depending on the cycle, somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of those races go completely uncontested. And that is because there is not the, the right kind of organization and energy and people actually putting forth choices in those races. And so you have two different dynamics. You have sacrificial decisions by partisans that I think could happen in Republican uh, in Democratic states where Republicans are the minority as well, following the McMullen model. And you have then also just the the vast number of local seats that don't go contested that could also use this exact same theory of an independent or more more importantly to me, a forward party candidate stepping in and building a cross-partisan coalition. Yeah, it's one reason why I so badly want Evan to win this race, because you could literally coin a new phrase, the McMullen model, <laughs> based upon him prevailing. And if, if uh, he falls short, then it'll be easy for people to be like, ah, you know, like nothing can change. Like, you know, they like, uh, of course, you can't build a cross-partisan coalition. Uh, so there's a lot riding on Evan McMullen's race. You have one of the most difficult jobs in Ford, one of the most important jobs in Ford. There are p other people in Ford that envy you, by the way, because you're actually talking to real life humans that uh, are making things happen uh, in, in communities, which is the whole point of the entire thing. Uh, if someone wants to help the forward party and join, what is the best way for them to express their support? Yeah, number one is go to forwardparty.com slash volunteer. That is where you will begin your onboarding process. We have a, a solid digital infrastructure uh, with a back end that will help you get connected with a real human being in your state um, and help you get connected with state leaders. There are uh, weekly and monthly and biweekly meetings happening in, in all the states that were organized. Uh, and those leaders will reach out to you and make sure that you understand what's going on and how we're building in those states. So that's that's first and foremost. Certainly, this is a grassroots movement. We, we hear a lot of chatter about well, who's funding this. Well, you can see that we're going to be fully transparent in the FEC uh, filings. But but that's kind of almost missing the point, because any political party that's going to sustain over the long haul has to be a grassroots movement that is funded yep. and supported by real people with $25 a month and $50 a month uh, going into making that happen. And I don't say that at all flippantly. I absolutely reject the way that political fundraising has become so disgusting and gross, and I hate it. Um, and I say this as someone who fundamentally believes that the way this will get built is by people who say, I'm willing to give 10 bucks a month and support it. And I'm willing to show up at volunteer meetings and I'm willing to host events in my community. And then they say, you know what, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'm going to go do this uh, in my community. And I just talked to a sitting city councilwoman yesterday, and this is one of dozens of conversations I've had, um, who is currently serving as a uh, Democrat. She used to be a Republican. And she said, this is what I've been waiting for. 
I'm ready to move to forward as soon as you're registered in my state and we will be registered in her state soon. So that's another way people can get involved. Talk to your local elected officials, tell them what forward is doing and and say there is a different way you can become a forward party legislator and elected official. Well, it, it's so vital because each major party has essentially completely given up on, you know, 60, 70 percent of the country in, in, in many cases. I mean, if you look at the map, like Democrats are not competing meaningfully in rural areas around the country, uh, in various red states and Republicans are not meaningfully competing uh, in urban enclaves uh, and, and other places where Democrats dominate. So you, you essentially do have one party rule in the vast majority of the country, which I don't think anyone thinks uh, is a good thing or healthy. Um, and then when you reduce the minority party to gadfly status, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I mean, it's one of the things, again, that's so impressive about the Utah Democrats, because there was a, a candidate trying to run for Senate as a Democrat. And then who was saying, and, and this, uh, you know, in a way, it struck me as a bit ironic. He was like, you'll disenfranchise us if you don't run <laughs> a, a Democratic candidate. Uh, and then so you had to question, it's like, okay, is the point, as you said, uh, democracy, like people maybe having a meaningful choice and this being meaningfully contested and maybe changing the nature of uh, politics uh, for Utah, but maybe for the entire country, or having a person with a D next to their name that we know is going to be a, sh a sure loss in a state that uh, Republicans win by, by 21 points. And you can think about your own local race, probably, if you're listening to this, like, you know, one party dominates that race, the other party, uh, frankly, a lot of the time is nominating uh, really odd people or not nominating anyone at all, because there, there's no real contest. Uh, and that's what we need to change. And it happens on both sides. I think the the dangers are very different right now. I don't want to engage in both sidesism because I don't think that's actually uh, true. Yeah, but I do want to say I want to say clearly that uh, both parties are doing this in terms of both really failing their communities in very specific areas where they've given up. And I think that based on the conversations I'm having, you're about to see a, a wave of local elected officials who finally feel like they have a vehicle through which they can just serve their, the people of their community. One of the things that happens in some of these local elections is they're not interested in being partisans. Uh, that stuff happens at largely at the federal level and the state legislative level. The mayor of a small town of 10,000, like my community that I live in, he's got to make sure the street lights are working, that the potholes are fixed, that the new uh, state road that's coming through has the right kind of funding and the right kind of crosswalks. He doesn't have time for partisan politics. He has no interest in partisan politics. He would much rather be a part of a party that will simply support him, that provides a vehicle for robust civic life, that has people he can connect with and be proud of and stay out of the partisan politics. And so that's why I'm excited that I believe he'll become a forward party member when we're ready. And uh, we've been having those conversations and uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the day. But these are the kinds of people that really are attracted to to the forward party right now. That, that makes me so happy to hear. And I also could not agree with you more that uh, this thing will live or die based upon whether it succeeds in touching everyday Americans, becomes a genuine grassroots movement where millions of us stand up and say, you know what, this is a much better approach than what I've been getting, uh, and I prefer it. And I prefer it enough where I'll actually do something I never do, which is like, I'm going to go donate 10 bucks a, a month um, to try and support this. Uh, now, also, I'm, I'm like a very, very disciplined 
uh, operator type where I know what it's going to take for us to get this party off the ground. So frankly, in like, you know, we'll, we'll go get the money in, uh, in multiple <laughs> like the, the increments, let's say. Um, but, uh, but it has to be a bridge to a popular movement as quickly as possible or else it will not work. That's right. And I can tell you again that the energy is there. The numbers are there. I've been working in politics 17 years. I've tried a lot of hard things the last seven years. I've seen the metrics of, say, independent Senate campaigns with $2 million and an amazing candidate. And I know what happens when we launch and we get great press. And then there's just kind of like a little bit of a fizzle and you don't see the numbers come in and the dollars don't come in and the people don't sign up. What is happening right now forward is the exact opposite of that. I have never seen in my 17 years the kind of grassroots energy that is not just there in kind of a flash in the pan way, but just absolutely committed. Uh, they are coming in and saying, put me to work. Uh, I want to get involved. And and that is something that, that rarely happens in American politics. You maybe have seen it a little bit around Bernie or around, uh, you know, Obama 08. Um, you saw a little bit of that. You didn't even see that really with with Trump, though he absolutely exploded onto the scene. Um, you didn't have people kind of doing the kinds of work that folks are wanting to do for forward. So I, this is a really unique moment that uh, the data is telling me we have something here. The data is telling me the exact same thing. And uh, when when uh, you you talk about uh, people who really rolled up their sleeves. It does make me think of the Yang Gang and the people that helped put my presidential campaign on the map. So if you're listening to this and resemble that, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope you're excited about Forward uh, and the work that we have the potential to do for families and communities around the country, which should be the fucking point. No, no not to you know be profane in this final <laughs> stanza, <laughs> but, 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 but people need to be the point of these things. Um, as opposed to the institution being the point. Um, so let's go build what the country needs. Joel, thank you so much for your leadership, your character, your sacrifice, your dedication. And please thank your uh, wife and family for us as well. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> it's, I, I, it's, been, it's been seven years for you. Like for some Americans have been waiting longer. Some have just cottoned on to it more recently. Uh, but, but let's go build the movement that America has been waiting for. I agree. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. And I uh, couldn't be more excited about where we're at. You and me both, Joel. Let's go. Let's move the country forward. Appreciate the heck out of you. And uh, we'll get back to work after this convo ends. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 